0: Joining me today, our subject is really going to be about creating inclusive and multicultural environments and really understanding that most of us, especially most of us who live in the Western world, actually have some degree of privilege. Some of us have more privilege than others, but most of us have privilege that we can leverage to create inclusive and multicultural environments. And I have a special guest today from the UK. So stay with me as we talk about him and also the conversation. So let me tell you a little bit about my guest. My guest, his name is Stuart Pickles. Leadership coach, Stuart Pickles is managing director of the leadership consultancy, Aim Higher Leadership. He works with leaders across sectors, focusing increasingly on how to accelerate the development of the higher levels of leadership required to solve the major challenges of social justice and climate justice facing the world and to build a regenerative future. Formerly a chief financial officer, Stewart spent 25 years working in blue chip companies such as Unilever, Kraft Foods, and Fosters. Located in the UK, he combines commercial and strategic acumen with a deep passion for honoring nature and humanity. So Stuart, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm welcoming you to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Karen, and uh, delighted to be with you. And uh, thank you so much for creating this space and uh, for having this uh, really important conversation.
0: Thank you for being willing to engage in the important conversation. And certainly it's important for us to reach across the ocean, if you will, and to even contact each other from different countries. So thank you for being a part of that as well. So let me just launch right in, Stuart, and I'm going to ask you some questions. First, you know, over this last year in the United States, we have had the coronavirus pandemic, and we've also had what I've been calling a pandemic of injustice. And this pandemic of injustice has included lots of incidents like police brutality against Black people and other examples of racial unrest, including the storming of the U.S. Capitol building by those who were carrying Confederate flags and also wearing and carrying symbols of anti-Semitism. So that's what's been going on in part, in the United States, what's been the racial, ethnic, and social justice climate in the UK over the last year?
1: Yes, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, uh, COVID uh, nineteen has has uh, impacted us, and I think in similar ways in, in our countries. Obviously, the social justice—what uh, I call the social justice issues—in the U.S. and all that's come to the into the into the fourth, you know, the foreground of all of our awareness. You know, with uh, you know, the the brutal murder of, um, of of George Floyd, you'd be amazed at how much that has been also in the in the media and in the psyche of uh, of, uh, of everybody here in the UK as well. It's also brought to our attention, and there's been a lot of things that have been brought out in in the media uh, and to our attention about similar kind of injustices in our in our criminal justice system as well. Maybe. Some people would argue not so extreme, but um, actually, I think the interesting thing is I think there's a lot more of it here than people realize. I think it's probably um, less obvious, but still there. And so that's been coming into the awareness Been listening to, you know, watching. There's been a lot of programs and um, TV coverage um, now. One of the interesting things is that we have a lot of statues in the UK, which celebrates people who were, you know, who, who became rich and powerful because of their involvement in the slave trade. And so there was one very famous moment uh, in the middle of last summer. Soon after, can't remember when it was exactly. Sometime later in the summer, uh, when a, a statue um, of one of those people in in Bristol was actually pulled down and, and thrown into the uh, in, into the into the the, the, the key, the lock, the, the the dock of the water there, just by the, in the sea in the, the harbour. And um, and there's been a big conversation about. To what extent should we remove all of these statues and anybody who's complicit, who who, who was complicit in slavery and all of the gains of that should be removed. And of course, the the conversation moves on there. And there's been some people even calling for removal of statues of Churchill because of his involvement in racism. So it's been a there's been a lot of really heated discussions, um, especially in the universities um, and just more generally in the public dialogue. So very much so in the public um, in the public public consciousness. Um, Although a lot of the stimulus for that has come from what's been happening and the very powerful images of the things we've seen in America.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Stuart, for letting us know the impact also in the UK and something that's similar between what you said about the UK and what I see also going on in the US is this. Lots of incidents have been happening for many, many years here in the United States. However, not everyone has been aware of those incidents. If you are a Black person, you know about police brutality. As long as I've been living it around, which has been a long time, I've been aware of it. Many of my white friends and colleagues less aware. They don't know the extent to which this is really highly Prevalent. It's not just a one off kind of a situation. So it sounds like 2020, which I've referred to as the vision year, has -hmm. allowed us to see some things which we normally might not see or might not realize are going on. And then now we say, oh, okay, there's more happening than what I thought was occurring. And you're saying in the UK, maybe even more so, you know, that sort of like disparity between the reality and what people recognize as the reality.
1: That's right, Karen. And um, in the article I wrote recently, which um, I know you read, um, one of the things I spoke about was the other metaphor that I was using. It was almost like the permafrost is melting. As the ice is melting, we're beginning to see you know, all of the injustices that were, were hidden and frozen forever. It's very difficult, I think, for everybody to, to come to terms with it, but it's there and it's real and we have to, we have to face up to the reality of it.
0: Absolutely. And so thank you. I'm glad that you, amongst a number of growing number of people, are recognizing the need to face up to it. So, Stuart, tell me a little bit about what's really happening in the workplaces in the UK. I know that you work in a consultative way in many companies and corporations there in the UK. So, how are these issues impacting the workplace there, these issues of social justice or racial and ethnic diversity?
1: My understanding is that, is that it's probably not that dissimilar to the US in the sense that we have diversity equity and inclusion as a, let's say almost a strategic priority for most organizations that uh, you know really have very much interest in their reputation now. I think it's it's moved beyond something that's a, an option. it's It's something that very certainly the major organizations, I would say all of them will have um, diversity equity inclusion right up the top of their strategic priorities. whether or not what they're doing about it, is making enough progress is another question. And I think you and I spoke about this before about how unconscious bias or training as we call it in the UK and the U S you call it something slightly different, not unconscious bias, but, um, implicit bias. That's right. Forgive me. I remember there was different words in the U S and the UK, you know, some of that training potentially, um, is, is it, is it in danger sometimes of being a tick box exercise? I think maybe it can be, I can speak about my own experience uh, a little bit later of, uh, of an unconscious bias diversity equity inclusion workshop that uh, i attended um i commissioned actually for my business and for my team which was incredibly effective and very disruptive and has probably the reason why i'm on this show today so um and and i do believe that there's many great people doing many great things um but i i think we've got a long way to go
0: well i certainly agree with you stuart that there is certainly a tendency at times like this to do lip service if you will or what we used to call in the military, window dressing, so that it looks like you're doing the right thing when, in fact, you're really not doing anything that's truly going to move the needle. So, you know, how do you get past or beyond even taking a statue down? What is going to make a difference for the person that's living today in terms of their economic reality, their health reality, and their opportunity to really have a living wage and a good life? And so when I think about the corporate sense... I know that there have been many companies in the U.S. over the years who definitely would just want to check off the box. Yes, we did our diversity training, but we have not changed a thing about our policies, our practices. We're not conducting internal audits. In other words, we've remained the same, but we can say we're doing the right thing. I think in the U.S., this has manifested a lot with people putting out statements. Different companies are putting out statements in support of people of color at a time like this, which is important. It's just that it's the early beginning stages, and you've got to go further than that. And so I'm really happy to see you say that as well. So tell us a little bit more, Stuart, then about what you've been learning personally about social justice and your own privilege in this climate.
1: Mm. Well, I, I mentioned that workshop that we, we had and facilitator who came, we actually ran the uh, workshop in my, in my house, in, in, in my living room, with just a group of about 10 of us. Raz, Razia Aziz is her name. She works for the um, Equality Academy in the UK and highly recommend her. And she came in um, and she held the mirror to me and to us. One of the things that we're painfully aware of is that at the, as, as, as things stand in that group, there's, there's, there's no people of colour. So you know that's one of the things that we start with, realizing that that's something which uh, is an issue for us to, to 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 hold. But but more importantly, what is you know the, our awareness of our privilege and just holding that mirror up. You know she said to me, look at you, look at you. You're living in this privilege. You're you're living in it with this privilege day in day out, and it was hard. I, I to be honest, uh, initially it felt quite rude. You know you invite somebody into your house, and I've I've never invited anybody in my house. You know normally people thank you for your hospitality and the very polite and um but i got over that <laughs> it took me a while but um when it, when i really reflected afterwards it made me realize that it was the disruption i needed and and that's what's led me on this journey and so a bit of upset and a bit of pain at the start but actually it's it's brought me to a place now where i'm really 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 um invigorated along the journey you know read a number of books um which i mentioned in the article um you know, the white fragility by Robin D'Angelo, um, Me and White Supremacy by uh, Leila Saad, uh, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by um, uh, Renie Edo-Lodge, and the levels of learning and challenge which come from this learning. It's very hard, but it's also very rewarding. As I say, I feel invigorated and um, ready to do more, um, and, and realising that it's, um, it's actually a lifetime of work as well. It's, it's not something that's, that you can solve in any short time period.
0: Absolutely. I think a lot of companies sometimes don't recognize that once you make a decision to walk in this direction, this is a long-term commitment. It's not a short-term issue Mm -hmm. at all. You don't just do one training program and that's the end. We're talking about major culture change. We're talking about making some huge strides to doing things in a different way. And I like what you said about how that the person who came to assist actually held up the mirror. And, you know, sometimes we don't like what we see you know, in the mirror. Maybe some hairs are out of place. Maybe there's a pimple on your face. Maybe something's wrong with your clothing, whatever. However, if you don't have the mirror, then you don't have an opportunity to make an adjustment. You don't have an opportunity to change. And so, first of all, I applaud you for being willing to look in the mirror. And then secondly, to go to the level where now you feel invigorated and are willing to step forward and do something different. So you've already started a, a major journey with all the readings that you're doing, the article that you wrote. What are you learning at this deeper level from all of your experiences about social justice? What are you learning? What's been the biggest insight from some of that learning?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of things that particularly stand out. One is, and Razia said this to us, which comes with penalty. Once you realize that your privilege means that somebody lacks privilege, then you realize that there's a penalty attached to that. You can no longer, once you realize that, you can no longer enjoy your privilege without realizing that somebody else is disadvantaged as a result. So that was quite a hard hitting insight, which really got me thinking. We talked a lot about privilege. And one of the things which really helped me to start understanding more about this was this notion that privilege is the absence of barriers. So if you have barriers, of course, you will see them. But if you if there's an absence of barriers, you don't see them. Because by definition, you can't see what's not there. And I think that a lot of people have this privilege, but don't realise it, because they they don't know what it means to have a lack of privilege. They don't know what those barriers even would look like. I think I was one of those many white people who believed that I was non racist, I would say that I I didn't see colour as a reason for differentiating between people. And I thought that I was genuinely being fair in all of my dealings with people. I'm sure there were cases where I wasn't, but I I certainly, my intention was. Uh, I thought, good. But it's not good enough to be, I mean, well, the thing about colour blindness is that if that saying that is, it's colour blindness. And what that's saying is that you're not seeing a person of colour for their lived experience, which is, Fundamentally different to that lived experience of somebody uh, a white person or anybody of privilege for that matter. I mean, we this is a wider conversation than just race, I think. But obviously, this this is the context that we're talking about it. I'm a white man, um, you know, straight, cisgendered, and have you know all all of those in in all of those different uh, contexts um, that the privilege. So it's not just about race, but it's particularly in the context of race. I'm realizing probably more. The biggest learning of all is that it's not good enough to be non-racist. We have to be anti-racist. And, and the other thing, this is a, a really interesting kind of concept, which I think is really important and, and really crucial to helping white people unlock almost this kind of gridlock that, that a lot of white people are in, is, which is that this is too difficult a subject for them. Because they equate, if somebody says to, to, to a white person, you're racist, they immediately mean that it must be intended. The white person interprets that as meaning that it's intended. And so long as there's a a feeling or that there's an accusation of intention, then there's a rejection of that, there's a defense of that and the wall goes up. Racism um, doesn't have to be intentional. You know, we we can be well-intentioned, but we are still complicit in a system which perpetuates the social injustice as I call it, the disadvantage, the prejudice and everything that goes with it. And so in order to be non-complicit, it's not just about not having intention it's about having a positive intention to stop the complicity by doing something about it and that and there are many examples of that and we can talk more about that but that's uh, i think that's the the fundamentally the most important insight and learning that's come out of this for me
0: you know i want to highlight a few of the things that you mentioned you were talking about the absence of barriers if you're on the privileged side and you're also talking about i call it the cost What it costs really to be in a situation where one group is privileged, and let's say some other groups are not. That means somebody's paying something. And you may not even be fully aware of the price that those others are paying, but they're paying. It reminds me of an illustration I once saw. I saw a picture where there were people in a restaurant enjoying the food and having a wonderful time. And from their vantage point, there was a sign on the door of the restaurant, and facing them, the sign on the door said, open. And so there were people outside the restaurant who they could see at the door, and they weren't coming in. So the people inside were wondering, well, how come these people aren't coming in? And they didn't understand that on that side of the door, the sign said closed. I think it's such a great illustration that when you're inside, let's say where the privilege is, the door is open. You don't see a problem. You don't see what the people outside the door are facing and the barriers that are up for them, the roadblocks, barriers in that sense, you know, that are there. And so I think that's really an important point of what you said. And it's not enough to just say, okay, I'm a a colorblind person. Colorblind means, like you said, you're not seeing things. Many people have believed that that's the objective. The objective is not to become colorblind. It's actually to be more aware of one another and Mm -hmm. to go a little bit deeper. You're doing two things. You're stopping something. You mentioned the anti-racism part, and you're also starting something. You're increasing inclusion. You're increasing more in that way. So it's a twofold thing, something stopping and something starting. And a lot of times people don't understand if you just stop something and you don't put in something new, something worse may come along, you know, in a sense. So you have to be intentional about what you're also building and also what you're creating. I just wanted to highlight those things and what you said, because I think that's really so significant, those points. So what insights relate to the work that you and your company are called to do today? Tell me a little bit about how this is affecting the work that you do and also what you may have to do internally and who you are to do that work.
1: I guess this answer, we have to think about it on a number of different levels, really. I, 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 um, I think the work has to start with self. Initially, I think we have to go in and really do quite a bit of this work on our own. Not only understand our privilege, but understand the extent to which uh, our behavior may, may be impacted by the, the privilege and, and the, the lack of awareness of of the disadvantage of others. When it comes to so I'm I'm a leadership coach and I work with a team of colleagues, and as I say, we you know we had that meeting and we've had uh, further workshops and conversations and it continues to, to shape what we do. And you know, it's led to me writing this article coming on. Show like this, and um, I'm going to be working in some DNI workshops going forward, and really engaging in client with clients on this conversation on this subject as well. And I've had clients coming to me and talking about situations where they may have had some complaints about from people about uh, about racism in, in the culture. Being able to sit alongside people who who face that challenge and and helping them to to work their way through it without dealing with the guilt and the fear, I think, is is, is what uh, those are probably the hardest things to, to get over, I think. They're such um, unhelpful emotions. They naturally arise, I think, initially anyway, but they are so unhelpful. They really paralyze and repel an individual from moving towards engagement and action. I think that's an awareness of that and um, the ability to help people through conversation to, to start exploring that and, and, and opening themselves up to to the journey. And I, I know that's, um, you know, the journey is one of those phrases people like to use, but I do think it's a journey and I think it's a long journey and um, we just have to take it one step at a time. But it's important that we take the steps and we don't, um, you know, we don't worry, we do something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said earlier, too, where you said sometimes the barriers or the racism that exists is not intentional. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when people feel blamed or it's an in-your-face kind of an experience where fingers are pointing at them, that's when the guards go up and the shields go up. And you also mentioned this, that sense of guilt and fear and so on. So what have you found that really works at the feeling level, so that people can get past that and maybe get to some feelings that are more facilitative of the forward progression. And how have you felt yourself, even in in engaging all this and going forward?
1: Yeah, well, I, I spoke earlier about the upset and the hurts. Uh, I've talked about the the guilt and the fear. Those, when you ask me how have I felt, those I'll say those words again. Those have been the feelings that one has had to. Work with. I do think that intention piece is a really important kind of key to the lock. I think that so long as a white person or a person of privilege feels they're being accused of doing something intentionally, when they are convinced that they're not doing anything intentionally, uh, or you know, with any bad intention, then that's where I think the door just won't open. I think if you can help open the mind to the fact that there are things that need to be addressed in the system, and that it isn't any intentional, you know, there's no intention on your part that this is happening. And so letting go of that. And then there's a liberation. There's a liberation, which means that you can then, okay, so let now with, with that, you know, you're, you can clear your conscience there to that degree in terms of there's no accusation of, of an ill intention, but there's still work to be done. And that's to look hard at the mirror of, to, to, to demonstrate the privilege and then look beyond the mirror to see what's on the other side. And to see the disadvantage um, that, that sits, um, as, a, as a, you know, on the on, you know, on the other side of the coin, and and the more that you can then um, sit alongside, I think that one of the things that I started doing, with the invitation from the, the books that I've read and people, the things that people have said, is to take myself back to the situations where I've been in a situation of, of disadvantage and um, and of prejudice and of. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the two best examples in my case are ones of bullying, bullying one or two people, older boys at school who would come and get you, uh, you into, a, into a corner where there were no teachers or anybody else around and, and, and hit you a couple of times and really hard, you know, and, and, and threaten you to do much worse if you tell anybody. And that feeling of being completely powerless, you know, we, I think most of us have experienced in, in, in some levels in our lives, some degrees of this kind of injustice. I also in my work life came across one or two really extreme examples of of uh, of people who were in positions of power and abusing it and bullying people and being on the receiving end of that myself and and just realizing just how how powerless and and um, one feels and how angry one feels so I think viscerally going back to and that's you know kind of so then that's an, you know one way that at least you can somehow put yourself into the shoes I'm not suggesting that those injustices are anything compared to the injustices for people of color. I I would want to make that really clear, but at least there's some degree of being able to empathize and realize. And then if you, so then if you multiply that by a hundred or a thousand times, that's what's going on for people of color. So those would be a couple of things.
0: You know, I really like the fact that you're talking about being able to empathize with others by going back to incidents even in your own life. Maybe not exactly the same, but you know the feeling of powerlessness, at least in your situation, and I do believe that a lot of the foundation of forward progression does involve empathy and it involves some conversations and some sharing, you know, between people to understand what others have experienced and what others are going through and have gone through that we might not always know or might not always be aware of. And then secondly, you also, you mentioned the importance of looking at the systems. A lot of times we want to look just individually and define Racism as something that someone's thinking or feeling internally when in fact there are so many systems that are set up in place that have become almost invisible to us systems and corporations systems and governments that have differential impacts and We have to examine them, even if we can't see what the differential impacts are right away, we have to at least be willing to look at them to uncover what they could be and to listen to those people from different groups who might be like those ones on the outside of the restaurant, seeing the clothes sign, you know? We don't know sometimes what others are experiencing at the system level until we investigate a little further. So I'm really glad you brought both of those up, the empathy piece and also the system piece, they're both quite important in terms of moving forward. Now, Stuart, many people of color get very concerned about whites who want to, quote, help.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> and, and they fear, you know, that that white privilege, if you will, is mm-hmm. going to be used as yet another means to yeah. call the shot, to shape the narrative. So mm-hmm. how will you avoid these outcomes, and establish true partnership as you move forward.
1: I think this is one of the hardest things. And even now, you know, I can sit here now and say, you know, what's my motivation for being here? Is it, is it to somehow assuage my guilt? Is it to somehow make myself look better? And it's quite difficult to be 100% confident that there's none of that in there. Um, and I think part of, you know, being truly authentic is to say that maybe there is a bit of that. But, you know, I think one has to look really deep into one's intentions and to, and to think about, you know, for me, it's it's just a much wider picture of the legacy I want to leave is is to create a better world where where the injustices of the past are um, are, are not perpetuated. But that doesn't really answer your question. I mean, I'm you know, it's a good example. I'm 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 in conversation with somebody at the moment, person of colour, who who and together we're talking about running an, in- an unconscious bias workshop. With a, with a group of people it's more of an inquiry really I think we're not we're, we're sort of even wondering about what to call it in order for it to try and break more ground than perhaps some traditional workshops of this nature I'm wanting very much to, to lead it <laughs> and and I'm noticing that that desire and um, and I'm also wanting very much and trying very hard to, to pull back and allow my partner to work through what will work best and to what extent will will it be my voice and to what extent will it be hers how can my voice be brought in in a way that complements but doesn't take center stage it's back to the whole white centering problem you know the extent i mean i'm so i'm aware of that that risk have i completely worked out how to avoid it yet probably not um i think it's a work in progress awareness is is is, is you know a, a big part of that Absolutely.
0: Awareness is a big part of it. And it's quite insidious, meaning we can think that we're not doing it. And in fact, we really might be. And you know what? Sometimes people allow those, I'll say, risk to cause them not to even step into the arena. And what I would say is that we all can grow even as we engage this work and even as we work together and You will learn, you will get feedback from your partners to give them permission to give you feedback when you might be inadvertently be showing up in a way that reflects, let's say, that the white privilege background and don't even know it, not even aware of it. Mm -hmm. If we don't talk to each other, honestly, we don't share and give feedback and say, here's what that feels like right now to me. I wonder what else we could do besides what we're doing at the moment, (laughs) you know? And a lot of times when I think about the whole business of partnership, there's a saying that is often said over here quite often amongst people of color about interventions. And they'll say, nothing about us without us. The objective is the co-creation and being able to see together what's going on and for those who may be in an affected community having their voice very large about what they're experiencing and what they think they need and then you would lend if you will your privilege towards the resolution and the outcome as defined by those who will be benefiting. And of course, the truth is the whole society benefits when we are really addressing these issues that we're talking about. I would certainly encourage you to, yes, engage the learning, (laughs) not be afraid. You're going to make mistakes.
1: Absolutely. And I I think that's, you know, it comes back to my point earlier about fear. I think if, if, if one can be paralyzed by the fear of making mistakes, and I've made so many, my God, it's so easy to stumble and fall. And then also inviting the feedback and I think most importantly, reacting appropriately to the feedback. I think if there's, you know, if, if, if one doesn't respond well to feedback, then the feedback will stop coming and you'll stop learning. So that's probably the most, um, maybe that's the most important of all, actually. If people can really feel that they can give you feedback, uh, then they will. They will.
0: Absolutely. And then you both, you both can grow because you're both going to give each other feedback, you grow and you learn together. So what are the recommendations do you have for white people about how to best approach multiculturalism, diversity, equity, inclusion, all these things we've been talking about? What else would you say to them?
1: I feel as though it may be a distillation of some of the things we've already said. I think one of them is to to really think deeply about this question of intention, to let go of the belief that to be racist, you have to be doing it intentionally. And that, uh, and that actually, you know, at, at some level, it's okay. You know, there's a, there's a reassurance in a way that I, I I would encourage giving, giving people that white people, say it's you're not being accused of doing this intentionally. You're being invited to come and join a dialogue about things which we can do something about, and that frame is is so different. And 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 that by doing that, there is this possibility of of people letting go of their guilt, all of which paralyzes action and freeze people up to actually do something about it and feel and enable them to enter the fray and you know um enter the enter the dialogue and start the learning um and as i say that that's a learning journey which um i i believe will probably never end for me um it's extraordinary i mean since i since my mind was open up open to this the amount of things that i have found myself exposed to or or, or searching seeking out and, and reading and watching and learning about and conversations um Amazing. You know, um, I watched um, James Baldwin, uh, I'm Not Your Negro, uh, you know, that amazing film. There's a great black British historian here in the UK called David Olasoga, um, who's, who's put together an amazing series um, talking about racism in the UK. There's, there's just so many examples. So open your mind and get ready for a, for a, a learning journey
0: that's actually great advice. And I love the fact that you are highlighting the conversations that are really going to be necessary that people have together in moving forward. How can people reach you later? Where can they get in touch with you, Stuart?
1: Oh, probably easiest just to give you my, um, my email address, which is Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T, at com. Full one word, aimhigherleadership.com. And uh, our website is www.aimhigherleadership.com.
0: Thank you very much for sharing that information. I'm sure some people may want to contact you to continue some conversations with you, even on this subject.
1: I would love that. I would really welcome um, uh, any conversations. And you can also get me on LinkedIn as well.
0: Excellent. So as we're preparing to sort of wrap up and close our conversation today, what words of wisdom do you want to leave from my audience of executive business leaders?
1: In a nutshell, I think it would be the phrase, racism doesn't mean intention. I think that one phrase is the key that can unlock this conversation.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Stuart, for being with me today and also for sharing with my audience your wonderful experiences. In other words, 2020 was an eye-opening year, and we're now heading into what I'm calling the year of impact to really do something about all of uh, these issues that we've seen and observed.
1: It's been a very great pleasure, Karen. Um, I know that we will be continuing our conversation on this subject, and uh, I look forward to uh, engaging with others and um, broadening the dialogue and being part of the change.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for the part you're already taking in the change. And so what I'd like to say to my audience out there as we're wrapping things up is just remember, as our guest Stuart said today, that it's not about intention. Many times we are complicit in activities without intending anything. And sometimes there's systems that exist that we didn't even put in place. However, we can help to change those systems. It's what we can do for good as we move forward. And that's what we want to focus on is what can we do together that makes a difference and that really moves the needle. Or in the language that I might use, we are really creating co created partnership as the way forward in our society and in our societies, because it's multiple in a sense. So all of us must recognize the privilege that we each have, it's even a privilege for me to be able to speak to you on this podcast. And I have opportunities to use this platform to also bring voices to you that you might not hear as often and ideas and thoughts to carry forward in a different way. So change, it starts with us getting to know each other across international geographic boundaries, across different ethnic backgrounds and boundaries. And as we get to know one another and have conversations such as what Stuart and I had today, I think we're going to see some major change as we walk together in a different direction. So I want to thank you as my audience for joining me today. And I want to leave you with today's biblical words of wisdom. And they come from Luke, the 12th chapter, verse 48b. And it says, For everyone... To whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Did you know that teams do the bulk of the work in successful organizations And for this reason, it's very important to build and develop your teams. And first, you might want to know where you are in the process. So I invite you to take the complimentary team assessment to identify your current strengths and also your learning opportunities in launching and developing high-performance teams that get dynamic, Organizational results. So go to my website, www.transleadership.com, and you'll see on the home page there's a brown bar that says Take the High Performance Team Assessment. You'll find it just under the running photographs. Click there and get your results. leadership resources.